Welcome to Sin 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. We are very, very glad you're here. Matt and Sarah, how are you both doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Me too. And you know what? We got to like pull the veil back a little bit and give our family, our listeners, a little peek is sometimes we get to talk before we start recording. The conversation that we have had with this guest that we're both excited about talking to, this has been fun even before we press the record button, especially the stories. Don't go toilet paper their house. Don't even think about it because this is a dangerous thing to do. Yes. So we had a lot of fun talking about our guest today, who is special to all three of us, friends with this man, and we've known him for a long time. He's been my Bible teacher in high school, one of them, and that was one of my favorite classes in my senior year. And Kevin, you've done ministry with him for a really long time, and Matt knows him well. And so we're glad to welcome the Foothills Christian High School principal, Dan Deal. Glad to be here. One of my fun stories about Daniel is when another good friend of ours, John Hoffman, Pastor John Hoffman, had graduated from seminary. And so we're at his house and Dan Dealing quizzed him. John might remember it differently. God bless you, John. I'm sure you listen to every episode. But he got uncomfortable and wanted to bail out. I think he felt like he was back in seminary because this is the man who has the reputation of our pastoral staff. This is like the real live Bible answer man dude. He thinks a lot. He reads a lot. He can translate complicated things to simple people like me and make them understandable. Well, I'm delighted to be here. And what's the point of talking about anything if you can't translate it to the 99.3% of us who are regular people instead of those 0.7 geniuses who just are above us all? I think it's to show off. It's certainly <laughs> not to communicate, right? And we've all talked to those people, right, who are just, their point is to let you know how much they know and how big words they use. Sometimes the we call those people a Apologists. And we're going to talk a little bit about not apologizing, but apologistics. So how it fits for me is 1 Peter 3.15 that comes up very frequently in our show. And it's a portion of it that says, always being ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And that's kind of what I see it as. That's how I define that big Christian ease word of apologetics. How would you define it? Yeah, I agree with you 100% that being ready to defend or to speak about your beliefs is gigantic and huge. And actually doing the work the study research to know why you believe what you believe, not just because my mom told me or my children's pastor told me. So that's huge. But the end of that verse, it says, be ready to make that defense and do it with gentleness and respect. And that's just huge. It's gigantic. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. So shut up. That has not brought a lot of people closer to Jesus or caused people <laughs> to think very well. So just treating the person across the table or across the kayak or wherever you are, treating the person as, as a real person made in the image of God who does or doesn't love Jesus or is a jerk or not, doesn't matter, you know, as they are real humans and ask them questions about them. You know, why do you think that's true? Where do you get your information? No, why is that important? Tell me about your your you know pet orangutan or whatever you have, <laughs> and enjoying the time with them, not trying to prove points. So, but you need to know what you're talking about as much as you do. But if you don't, it's okay. You can say I don't know. I'll do some more research and get back to you. But do it with generous and respect. I think that makes the difference rather than being an arguer, mm -hmm. being someone who's having a respectful conversation with people that you care about. Definitely. So, how did you come to know and love Jesus? 
God made me 60, 60 years ago. And we'll just leave details out because I don't remember them. I grew up in a denominational church and I grew up in that home with seven brothers and sisters in a kind of raucous, crazy family that was fun. And grew up believing God was true because that's what you just believe, right? I had no reason not to, never heard of anything else. Grew up wanting to do what was right most of the time, but often doing what was wrong was just so much fun. And I do remember when I was 13 years, years old, I was going through a process called confirmation, confirming your baptism, confirming you're a part of the family of God. I was on the playground at the church, uh, the recess area of the school, walking and thinking. I really thought this off my head. I thought, oh, I really want to follow God, but it's so much fun to do what's wrong. And it was kind of a dissonance in me. And doing what's wrong side went out because it was fun, right? And I, I never really learned why not to. And that brings us issues and whatever. But when I when I turned 21 due to a, a heartbreak breakup hurt so much, I decided to follow Jesus. I decided, well, this doesn't work in real well, so I'm going to walk with God, who I know is true, know is real. And that's when I really started the process, the long following Jesus. You know, it's not a one-time deal where you say, up, oh, done, perfect, I'm in heaven. No, it's a long process of learning how to love the one who loves us. What was, what was the breakthrough, Dan, of, of really digging into, wait a minute, this is true. This is standing yeah. up to my scrutiny. What was that breakthrough about? Uh, like I said, he grew up believing in God, right? Because, you know, my mom told me, authorities told me, and I never really heard much of otherwise. Well, I was 21, 22, probably 23, something like that. And, and I've always loved reading. I, fortunately, my parents were evil, evil parents, and they did not let us have a TV growing up in the house. So we read, <laughs> man, we read, I read, I read, I read. I remember once my dad telling me, you need to go outside and play. You're reading too much. <laughs> so I loved reading. And in the process of growing and learning, I, I picked up a book from a writer called C.S. Lewis called Mirror Christian. Christianity. It was a book that just took my mind by storm because bit by bit he showed from basic human characteristics and traits and actions, how we, it doesn't matter who you are, you don't do what you know you should and why don't we do that and just built and built step by step, piece by piece on it points to to laws that are outside of us, which point to a law giver named God or we call God. And he worked that through and pointed that if there is a God, what kind of God would reveal himself to us along the whole story to the God of Christianity. And it just made me think, oh, this isn't true because again, my mom told me, authorities told mm -hmm. me, but because it's actually true. It actually reflects human behavior in the world around us. And it was very much of a mind-opening thing that got me on the path of saying, what do I believe and why do I believe? That's good. Yeah, I know, like I mentioned, you were my apologetics teacher, and I loved that class. Like, I still remember so a lot of it. Yeah. yeah, it was great. What's like one of the number one questions that you hear people ask? And I think it's too, it's not just non-Christians asking these. There's a lot of Christians asking these questions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we like to avoid that question because we're like, oh, maybe there's no answer. Maybe there's no way to handle this or whatever. And sometimes you land in, like you said, you say, I don't know, I've got to look yeah. it up. Or, you know, I don't think everything has a, a set answer. But what are some common questions or maybe like the number one question that you've heard? It really depends on, on what group of people you're talking to. If, if you're talking to people who just want to do what they want to do, but they're not thinking deeply about things, who am I, where do I come from, but they just want to do what they want to do. The questions are usually pretty inane and not answerable because they just want to do what they want to do and they're not going to listen. So you just love them and say, well, good luck. They're, I, I would say, like apologetics people who just want to give the answer to you. You know, they, they aren't listening. They aren't, they aren't hearing. Yeah. So, so you just love people like that. But as you get into people who are more deeper thinkers, certainly a problem of evil is one. How could a good God create a place where such evil, truly horrendous evil, happens here and there. That's a good one. Another one is how come the Bible is against science? Hasn't science proven the Bible wrong? Those type of questions. Or another one is you, Dan Dealing, grew up in a Christian America, more or less. Well, if you grew up in Buddhist China, you'd be a Buddhist. So it's just really just back 
background and mm. those type of things. And they're fun mm. to talk about. The Bible's got great descriptions of people who were asking questions just to trick Jesus or whatever, and they really weren't looking for an answer. But when people asked real questions, like maybe Nicodemus, Jesus took time. Yeah. That was real questioning and real digging into God and the truth and conversation happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it would be valuable because this is about being prepared, even though, like you're saying, we need to examine and pray as we're talking to people and these questions are coming up to see, okay, are they actually looking for an answer or are they just trying to tear and yeah. get upset and stuff like that? And you have to sometimes ask more probing questions underneath that to figure that out first. And I think we've seen examples of that with Jesus, even with the rich young ruler, where the rich young ruler asks him one question and he goes to, wait, what is the heart of what you're saying here? What What's our relationship here? But I think it'd be fun just to kind of break down those three questions that you brought up. So, if God is good, why is there so much evil and pain in the world? How do you approach that? Yeah, in like 10 words or less? or hey, As long as you want to go. <laughs> Again, that, that, you know, at the high school class, we barely scratch the surface and do that in over a week. So I barely scratch the surface. Basically, everybody, every single person, no matter where they're coming from, knows that they are not living up to their particular standards, whatever that standard might be. You know, everybody says, I wish I was better than I am. Every single person, right? Everybody does. And if people are just like, yeah, I don't, I don't do the things I really think I should. And I do the things I really think I shouldn't, whatever that may be for their standard. And that just shows there's something broken inside of us. There's something inside of us that isn't working the way we think it should. Again, it doesn't matter what standard you're coming from. And so in terms of the problem of evil, of God creating a world in which this broken stuff, we have to ask ourselves, why is stuff broken? Why? And if you're honest, and again, it's a long conversation, right? If you're honest, you come back to it's broken because of me. The problem of the world is humans. We have broken stuff. And then you've got to move to the question, why? You know, why do we as humans cause what we would define as evil so much? And the best answer to that of all the deep questions of why is the world broken, in my opinion, and I think logically is that humans chose to walk away from a creator who created good stuff. He said, take care of this or walk with me. And they said, thanks, I really appreciate all this good stuff. We're going to do it on our own. And doing it on our own introduced evil into the world. We introduced it. The possibility was there because God makes, you know, I love, and, and we can go on to that, but you can't have love without choosing anti-love. Otherwise, there's no real love there. And we chose, no, we want to do it our own way. And that is the basis for why there is evil in the world. And so why does God, I'm playing devil's advocate sure. a little bit, but why does God not just, because he's God, he's yeah. all powerful, why doesn't he just snap his fingers and fix it all? Because when God made everything, he created everything. And then he created some interesting, unique beings called humans. And he did something to us that he did to nothing else. No, no other creature, no other creation. And he put in us something called his image. He says, I stamp you with the image, male and female, I create you and I put my image in you. What does that mean? The way I look at it is God didn't finish his creation, which is pretty clear, but then he decided to make humans to do the work for him. And he put his image in us and walking with him in relationship, we would continue to cause this universe to become finished. It was a uh, 
statement from God that he loved us and wanted co-workers, as it were, in almost a sense, I'm going to push a little far, but co-regents, a whole bunch of little kings, queens, to continue the great creative work. And so it's ours. This world is ours. This universe is ours. And when we walk with God, great things happen. And we bring goodness and life and beauty and love into the world. When we don't, we bring anti-beauty, anti-love, anti-goodness in the world, and we call that evil. So it's part of God's plan that he doesn't fix it all. One thing that's amazing to me is all these questions just shout that there is a God in the sense we know when it's unjust. We know there's evil. Where do we get that? You know, we get that because there is a creator, a God who made us in his image to understand. It's kind of like thirst is kind of a testimony that there's water. There is something in us that aches for our creator and our God by just having these kind of questions when they're genuine questions. Again, if I was really talking to somebody instead of talking to Sarah, if I was really talking to somebody, I would ask them not flippantly, but say, okay, yeah, good question. Why is evil? Why is there good? And just let that question run around for a bit. So you begin thinking the other direction. So what I kind of hear you saying is that one way to approach it is that God entrusted us as being created in his image. He wanted us to be like him. He wanted us to be creators and he doesn't want to violate us by treating us like slaves kind of thing to just like snap his fingers and make it all good. Don't talk in the past tense though. He wants us to be creators. He mm-hmm. wants us to be loving, not wanted. Mm-hmm. And that kind of puts a little twist on it. Today, not, not he did a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Today he does. How can I do that today? People around me. People tend to equate all the bad stuff to God. Why does he let all this bad stuff happen? Why did this mm-hmm. come on? But they don't equate any of the good to him. No, good right? is is good people, yeah. which is opposite of what is actually true. I've said to someone who I love, and this was a while ago, but they talk about how they just wish everybody was good and they believed that there's so many good people and all this stuff. And I pointed out to them just kind of like what both of you were saying is that, you know, the reason reason every human wants good generally i mean some don't fact that we have this desire for goodness this desire for everyone to be loving and joyful and peaceful even though we don't see it most of the time is a sign of god's image in his character being innately in us as the word says he's placed eternity in their hearts Mm, yeah and a sign there really is a real good let's talk about that what is good where does good come from how you know i've got a great friend who who is not a Christian. And the closest he would come to church, he came to my office once. And But we have a great long-term relationship. And you might have these kind of friends. You have friends that call you when they see Christian bumper stickers and say, okay, define it. Tell me what this is all about. I don't get it. And so we have those kind of conversations. I'm the one that would probably pray over the food at his Thanksgiving dinner. But he came to me once and he says, Kevin, I, I've been reading the Bible. I'm going, what? And he said, yeah, I'm reading it all the way through and I got to Hebrews. What? He's a smart guy mm. and he was an educator as well. And he said, why don't you and I make a religion where everybody's just good to each other, but there's no God. And it took me back to this old chalkboard example of good without G-O-D, God, you end up with zero. And so (laughs) I actually said that to him, but then we started walking through it. Okay, so what's good? You know, how are you defining good? And it comes from God. Either good is outside of us, 
or it's inside of us. And we each get to define what is good, and that works real well. This is really good, and I think this is helpful to people. The second question you said, or one of them that is really common, is what is truth? What does it mean? Where does it come from? How do you approach that? And again, I'm sure that's one you spend a lot of time yes. on in a class. Yes. But Yeah, and you first throw away or, or gently and sweetly get away with the idea, because nobody really believes this, that everybody has their own truth, and it's true. Nobody really believes that. A, it's just silly. B, if that were true, I mean, if people believe that, then there is no truth. If, if everybody has your truth and my truth and my truth and chemistry is his truth and math is his truth and so on and so forth, then we, we can't get along. We can't agree on anything. And there's, there's some basic foundational things that everybody believes. You know, more or less things like, you know, it is good, which is a true statement. It is good to treat people good. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dang basic, right? And we start talking about those kind of things and a foundation starts to develop. But you do get the question, what is truth? And every single person has some presuppositions that are undefendable. Everybody does. And there's nothing you can do about it. The only question is, is not whether you have them, is, is which ones do you have? The whether which controversy. Discovering where people's truth, small t, comes from is a fun thing to do. And it's really fun to help people think about why do you believe what you believe? How do you know it's true? And, you know, where do you get your information? Why is it important? I want people to, to talk to me that way. You know, how do you know that's true? Where do you get your, you know, answer from? There's a lot of things that are important, are not important. And if we're going to be able to talk and mean anything for pretty much everybody, it comes down to the basic proposition. You've got to start with logic, the law of non-contradiction, the law of causality. These are basic things that if you start with those and begin to build, the fluffy, my truth, your truth thing just falls apart real, real fast. And then you get more harder truths and, and what is actually true and what is actually opinion. Yeah. I think too, with that, you could easily, you can say something wild and it will start to unravel. Like you can say, well, I'm a dog. And <laughs> pretty much all people are going to be like, well, you're not a dog. I mean, they there'd be some people out there that will say, well, I'll accept you're a dog, but they know in their head you're not a dog. Oh, they're playing the game. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. off of that, another question that you said was common that you get is the background question. People ask you, well, you were raised Christian and I was too. So, you know, if you were in Asia somewhere, you would have been a Buddhist or Hindu or whatever. How do you approach that? Because I feel like that's kind of connected with the where does your truth yeah. come from? Your background helps define who you are and helps explain who you are, but it doesn't define truth. Some of us, I mean, we come from all sorts of different backgrounds. Some of them are, there's a lot of pain and hurt in them. Does that mean pain and hurt is truth? Capital truth is outside your background. There is truth no matter where you're born. You know, water is wet whether you're born in the desert or in the ocean. You're not born in the ocean, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Water's still wet, but I've never saw water. So, uh, well, okay. doesn't matter to some extent. Now, again, my background is going to really determine how I think about things. But how I think about things, again, should be, as I grow up and become an adult, should be formed on, on solid truth, not on just my background. You know, like I said earlier, I grew up in the Catholic Church and I have a lot of fondness for a, a Catholic Church and a lot of things in it I think are super powerful. And yes, they are Christians for those who are right now going, oh, we're Catholics. <laughs> but I left it because for me, I found Jesus in a different tradition and it worked better for me. However, if push came to shove and I had to be, you know, I got to be a Catholic or I got to be a Buddhist. Then I say, okay, I'm Catholic. And I'd walk the Catholic line. That's fine. That's just background stuff, irregardless of the truth. Aren't there more Christians in Asia than there are in America? Yeah. And in the last hundred years, the percentage of people who call themselves Christians has moved from the Northern Western Hemisphere into the South Southern Hemisphere. And the strength of Christianity is coming out of the Southern Hemisphere now. I totally agree with what you're saying. And it makes perfect sense. I put it on God too on this. I mean, it says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And my 
my friends who have investigated Buddhism, I didn't get terrified of that. I knew them and thought, you are genuinely seeking truth in God. Well, Jesus is the truth. He is the way. And if you're going after it and asking deep, solid questions, you're going to run into Jesus. Yeah. There are deep truths in all of those religions. Let's just talk about and I'm going to be real kind of flippant here, but Buddhism, Hinduism, more Buddhism, has a deep sense of being one with creation and mm-hmm. being part. Of, and that's a huge thing we Westerners you need to understand that we're not isolated, wonderful individuals going rolling the rain over everything. No, we're part of the ecosystem around. That's a, that's a positive thing. The Muslims, the idea that God is one, a singular unity, and deserves incredible respect is something we can learn a bit yeah. in our American Christianity, that mm-hmm. God deserves some respect and he's, he's not us. He's not my buddy upstairs. He is king of the universe, dang it. Yeah, and I want to slip it in here somewhere. We're only getting the tip of the iceberg. I mean, with every question and every answer that we're discussing right now, we're giving people food to think. But what are some, for people who are going, you know what, I'm hungry for this. I need to know more. What are some other resources that you would say that just a regular Christian could dig into and to go deeper into these things? Yeah, I, I want to be careful about one thing is I am wired to logic. I am wired to reading and finding the answers and, you know, putting a list of this and that. That's just the way I'm wired. And many people are not. So there are people who God works incredibly through who know very little about why they believe what they believe. But because of their, uh, say, loving, sweet, warm, open heart personality, they draw people to Jesus. Yes, they do. And I have nothing to say to them except God bless you. Keep on Hoorah. going. But for those who are more wired like me, we analytical people, we need left Holy Spirit working us to have open, compassionate hearts. That's a huge, gigantic beginning. That's the primary thing, is allow God to work on those areas that are not natural for you. And this is all part of apologetics. Shut up. Learn to keep your mouth shut. Let somebody else talk. And then ask some questions about themselves. And that's not even getting into resources, right? That's with the resource of the Holy Spirit. Let him work through you. I have a, a note on the side of my wall by my desk in my office that basically says something along the lines of, Whenever somebody's in this office talking to you, I, the Holy Spirit, am here with you. Listen to me. Because that's a weakness in my area. But in terms of resources, again, get a foundation, man. Read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, about 10 times. Read everything by C.S. Lewis. Chronicles of Narnia, primarily. Which has some deep truths in it. But there's that. In terms of just raw data, Christian Apologetics Resource Ministry, karm.org, has answers for 100 million things. It's a huge resource. I've been listening for the last couple of years, a British podcast called Unbelievable. And he picks people from opposite camps and has them come together on all sorts of topics. I mean, everything, and has them with respect and gentleness. So I would, you know, those who are listeners, listen. Those who are readers, read C.S. Lewis. There's a hundred people out there to read. Josh McDowell. Yeah, The Evidence that Demands a Verdict is a resource. It's a research book. It's not a sit down or read from one end to the other, but it's got tons of great stuff in it. And he and his son have lots and lots of good resources just to read. Doesn't take much to find good resources. I just found it on my phone. It's a new app called Google. And you can type things and it gives you answers and it makes you, you can find places. It's really neat. Yeah. Find a lot of junk on there too, obviously. I don't know. It can be a scary place, but I'm going to check those out. There's a movie out now called The Riot and the Dance. It's a nature movie based on, I think there's two two of them now, is based on on God's creation and the way creation is put together in a, in a riot of beauty and mm. all sorts of things. Fun movie. And unbelievable. I've listened to that before. You can find that on YouTube and they're all free. There's hours and hours upon it and they have the subject names. It's really good. And I, I wanted to touch on what you said before you were talking about some of those specific resources. I love to remember, you know, and it's been said by lots of people, so I'm not claiming this. One of the probably actually the biggest 
difference of Christianity from the world religions and other systems of belief is that we do believe that God is actually with us, that he actually came fully as God and man, and now he's dwelling with us and in us. And, you know, you can go study John 14 through 17 and really get a hold of that. And I just love remembering that and and knowing that. And I forgot what I was going to ask you. And and you were going to say that Christianity is the only world religion that is based on history. Without the actual physical human history of the stories of Christianity, Christianity is nothing nothing where the other major religions are philosophies and ways of thinking that aren't based on i mean you can take buddha out of buddhism and buddhism's fine you can take muhammad out of islam and the truths of islam are still there you cannot take jesus out of christianity and have christianity and if god in the person of jesus if this human man named jesus actually walked on the earth and actually did what he said he did and actually died and actually rose from the dead those are events in human history if they happened it means something if yeah. they didn't happen that means something too but if i take the rules of historical research that are commonly used and apply them to the story of jesus the 2000 year old story of jesus and compare that story and the evidence we have for that with similar historical stories of the times and the story of jesus and the resurrection of jesus has much more historical evidence than say caesar attacking gaul and the arguments i've heard against the historicity of jesus fall pretty flat they're strained a real good question is what do you do with jesus and usually the answer is oh he's just a nice guy and then hey we got all sorts of things we can talk about yeah and i love how you keep that note to remind you of that and of course for you it's connected to the analytical stuff and the knowledge that you have but you've touched on it already a little bit but i'd love for you to break down especially as an analytical person how do you handle those kind of as kevin would say pitfalls of knowing all the apologetics when you're in those conversations like you have that note there to remind you okay god's present with me and in this conversation but what are some of those pitfalls and how do you personally overcome them first i've learned to shut up i'm literally i'm I'm not going to talk just close my mouth i've learned to say i'm sorry a lot oh yeah you're right you were saying i'm sorry and i look at the person (laughs) if you look in a person's eyeballs you see them if you're looking around the room thinking of things you're going to say you miss the person so it's a process but you look at a person you orient yourself towards a person you're not you're not looking at you know looking up through your books or whatever you're looking at the person um just in my head and this sounds silly but i say this is a real person (laughs) this isn't a thought over here it's a real person and every day i get up every single day i get up and i literally face god whatever that means god know exactly where god is but i face him and say you know i belong to you today and when you walk with me today help me see you and, and love you and love people and treat them as your sons and daughters and i give you this day and that's just a long term process and that has helped me out of the i'm right you're wrong um i'm smarter than you which may or may not be true. I've got the answer for you attitude. Because the answer may not be the question they're asking. The answer may not be the pain that might be coming up out of them back when this happened to me. The answer may not be the answer. It's interesting to me because sometimes we take the Holy Spirit, we take God out of the equation, you know? And so many times it goes back to, no, he went ahead of you. He set this whole thing up. He's with you. It's for him that you're involved in this God conversation. I think that's a challenge that I want to throw out there to the people who are who are listening is, ask somebody if you can have a God conversation. Can, can we just talk about God and then see what happens, see what an extraordinary thing unfolds from that and 
talking with a tone and actually having tone in your heart that you care. I mean, it makes you different than the people that people bump into every day. There's just something extraordinarily different about someone who has a relationship with Jesus and is trying their best to act like him. And I've, I've asked atheists, what would the world be like if everybody acted like Jesus? It's like, Huh. Yeah. You know, if you buy into that he actually existed and we've got a good account of that. But pretty much most people do. I mean, we've thought about it all. They believe there was a person named Jesus who walked on the earth. Yeah, and but, then they do something with them. Yeah. And some of my favorite conversations have been with people who are very far from relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the process. Yeah, and, and I don't have to give you all the answers. I can't, but I'm just me, and we just happened to bump today or whatever, I made an appointment or whatever, and then you're going to be gone somewhere else, and I'm not going to be with you, and, and God is still moving in that person's life. So who knows why he had that person in front of me today? And I'll answer questions. I'll talk about whatever. But I didn't fail because that person went over there, didn't agree. I Dang, I didn't say it well enough. Well, I probably didn't. But God, now bless that person wherever he's going. My mistakes, as huge as they are, are not so huge that God cannot redeem them. There's that famous quote that says, people don't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And I think that is very applicable. And I feel like my I take away from all this today and I hope a lot of this has been helpful and I think it will be to our listeners but I just keep thinking as we're talking I think it's in Revelation but I could be wrong but it's in the Bible and it says <laughs> that um we overcame by the word, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That just keeps coming to mind because sometimes your testimony is you have all this background where you love the facts and the figures and you're able to share that. That is a part of who Dan is and he loves talking about those things, but it's he's also more than that. He's his experiences. He is part of his background and the emotions and the things he's gone through in life and all of that plays into those moments. And there's other people that they're not so into the facts and the figures, but they have extraordinary kindness. Mm -hmm. They have extraordinary joy. Whatever it is, there's something that when you're in relationship with God that sets you apart, that makes you different and allows you to stand out to people yeah. and use that because that is the most powerful piece of your testimony. Whether or not you can answer the deep questions, you being able to be present with someone and talk to them and treat them as Kevin, you say, a real person, you know, made and created in the mm. image of God. That is what is important and that's what opens up opportunities and opens doors with people. Every person that we're encountering, they're all different types of people too. Right. And so so some of them are more analytical and some of them are more relational focused and don't care as much about the, the facts and figures. And so remember that as well, that you're meeting people like you, you're meeting people different than you, but the word of your testimony mm -hmm. of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus being in your life and being present with you, that is, it's a superpower, honestly, <laughs> and it stands out to people because we do have eternity in our hearts. We are looking for good in the world, which is God. Is there anything else that you would like to share or say any thoughts you would have to share with us? God is good all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> That's uh, something to think about. God is good. And the person sitting across from me, God is good to that person too. Whether that person knows it or not, God is good. And he is working on them, with them, through them, in them, whether they know or not, and me too, to make me more like him. And I can just simply trust that. 
And if this person were talking about something, Christianity or not, but let's just say Christianity because that's kind of where we are right now, and I speak truth to that person as much as I can, God is good. And God's going to do what God's going to do with that person wherever he goes or she goes. And that's it. You know, when I, when I talk in front of 25 kids in a classroom for a whole semester, two semesters, God is good. And some of those kids are asleep all the time because that's where they are in life right now. <laughs> some of those kids light up. Guess where they are in life right now? I don't know where they are, but God does. And I can trust. I can trust that the words I'm speaking, especially when I speak truth in love, the words I'm speaking, God is going to use them for his purposes, whatever, whenever, however he does. And it usually isn't that moment. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dan, for coming on the show and sharing with us today. It's been great fun. Yeah, my pleasure. One of my favorite takeaways from this, and certainly a thing that I really appreciate about Dan, is that here we're having kind of an apologetics episode. So that's the be prepared. But what we keep coming back to and what I keep hearing and Dan keeps bringing up is gentleness and respect. I think that's the, the main thing for me is, is people to understand they are sent with gentleness and respect. Thank you.